Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. We are live on LinkedIn and YouTube. So if you are here, please say hello. I can't see who's following us unless you comment. So please comment, tell us you're here. Let's start conversation. It's the beauty of being live. It's the beauty, let's lean into it. Stefan, I'm so grateful you're here. Uh, I'm excited for this conversation today. Before we get into it, a little bit about Stefan. Stefan and I connected over LinkedIn as I gave a shout out to my community and asked for who I should interview. And Stefan was at the top of the list. <laughs> I've actually been following Dream Data for a while now, thanks to his sales leader, Lauren Erdem. What great content she's producing. If you're not following her, please head on over and do that right now, right now. Um, so yeah, I've absolutely jumped to the chance to have this conversation because I've I've been following Dream Data and they've been doing great stuff. So thanks to uh, my previous guest, Frida Aranby for the recommendation. Frida, ah, so grateful. This is gonna be an awesome, awesome conversation. Um, <laughs> about Stefan, before we hear his side of the story in greater detail, uh, and I turn it over to him. He is an exceptional growth-minded is data-driven by heart and loves all parts of scaling businesses. He's a notorious growth hacker. We're gonna dig into what that means later in this conversation. And with a successful track record of scaling businesses and building teams at Upwork and Airtame, Stefan truly knows the pain of rapidly scaling marketing and growth firsthand. Today, Stefan serves as the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Dream Data. Stefan, welcome. Um, thank you so much, Carrie. And, uh... I get a little bit uh, the cringy feeling hearing these uh, superlatives about myself, but uh, I'll I'll try to see if I can do some of them uh, them just. Absolutely, I, yeah, I, you're already doing it. Um, I think I'm one of many shows that you have been on. You are creating quite the track record for yourself already. So I just I think it's just about being you and and showing up and <laughs> with all this great information you have. Um, this is going to be an awesome conversation, like I mentioned. And before we get into it, though, we need your story from from you about what you do and how you got there. So tell us, Stefan, tell us all the things. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I can quickly run through kind of where I got, how I got here. Um, I've been uh, ever since I graduated university. I've been working in uh, in B two B companies, uh, very uh, digital, like completely digital B two B companies. It's always been startups, SMB uh, space. So, what I'm gonna say today is also gonna be, you know, biased or colored by th that's the world I know well. So, if if you're in B two B enterprise or in B two C. Some of the things I say might be a little bit different in your world, but that's just how to lay out the landscape. Uh, I think I graduated back in early 2010, so it's been like almost 13 years of uh, only basically marketing growth-related roles and tried a lot of stuff that that failed and also <laughs> had a few success with uh, different kinds of projects. So hopefully I can convey uh, a bit of, uh, of, of that today. I think uh, probably my most important skill is, uh, you know, uh, 
is there's a, like listening to the term growth hacking i, I think i really should del- get that deleted by now <laughs> on, on LinkedIn, but it because it got so fluffy for me what it means is kind of a a, a persistency a consistency a, a natural curiosity on how you can do things a little bit better every day <laughs> so it's i think I what you need to do is just you know Think about all the ideas you have, try to score them a bit rational, and then try to execute them as fast as you can, and then try to learn from the outcome. And if you go to that uh, with a, a desire to win, a desire to do a little bit better, then you know you just find 1% here, you find 1% there, and like suddenly this, the snowball starts running. And I, if I come, if I reflect a little bit upon, upon it, maybe it's because I've always been playing sports uh, most of my life, and you get that kind of natural. Okay, there's a scorecard. Maybe there's a tactic in the game that we can apply. We can train before we come to the game, etc. So this is this very boring commitment to try to get better and try to show up at training, and you know that that is what can create, uh, to me at least, uh, can create great momentum. I had um, an employee not too long ago say to me, I absolutely love this. He's like, every day, I'm just trying to do 1% better. Yeah. Uh, and that's really, to even think that way and walk into work every day and today, 1% better. Like, what a great way to think about growth. Um, I think it's also because, like, you can't, you know... There's like there's not a lot of unicorns out there where kind of you just go from zero to a million out of nothing. What most ordinary people like uh, me at least can do is just try to can I write this email a little bit better or can I run this ad campaign a little bit better or come up with a little bit better color or whatever it is. That those are the things that ordinary people can can do something about. It's true. It's true. Aaron G, thank you for joining us from Canada. Grateful you're here. We are on a little earlier, so we're probably missing some of our West Coasters, but have no fear. This is all being recorded and you'll be able to watch it at any time and still comment. And we will be sure to circle back with you and answer any questions you have asynchronously. So uh, grateful to have you, Aaron. In terms of uh, where you are right now, Stefan, and being, a, I love that I love that you're wearing both hats because I wear I wear the same hats of co-founder and marketer. And <laughs> so you definitely have an interesting perspective of getting to see both sides. I find marketers don't always get to see the business side. And so what great insight you have to being able to, to do both of those things. So in your unique position, what challenge is is in your way at the moment? What's really hard? I think that you'll probably recognize this as well is that you as a co-founder you you get pulled into all sorts of different projects which isn't necessarily marketing but as a business as a whole they are very important <laughs> so you have to deal with them like my if i'm honest my passion is kind of marketing related stuff but you know let's say there's a customer who needs help analyzing their data then i happily jump into that call but it's not generating us uh, new demand so I think it's this constant challenge of um, selecting the right things to work on and like having your internal compass uh, configured so you don't get stressed out because there's tasks all over the place. All, 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 the, all the fucking time there's tasks. So <laughs> you need to kind of, you need to, and that's, you know, that's where I'm grateful to have co-founders is that you can speak with them and say, okay, I have 
a too much work right now. And for us, that typically means that there's unclear priorities. So we need to talk about what are the most important things right now. And then you start with the most important things and then just leave them alone. The other things, if they're not as important mm -hmm. as the other things. So this is a thing that yeah, I think that's the main challenge that I face, that there's so many things that I could be spending my time on. So what is the right things to spend the time on? Yes, I so feel all of that. Because what, while you, there's benefits jumping into that customer conversation, right? Because there's also retention that you want to maintain. Too. Yeah, absolutely. It's just tricky, like trying to grow net new, but wanting to re retain. And where does my energy go? Both of these things feel important, but which one's more important? It's the never ending struggle for sure. So I love that you're able to sit down with your co-founders. Because I think this is important in any marketing organization of when somebody gets overloaded for them to feel that they can raise their hand and say, I got too much going on. What do, what do I need to prioritize? Like if only three of these things are going to get done today, what three have to get done. Right. And being yeah. able to raise your hand and say that I think is hugely important. And as marketing leaders, we need to give the right space to our folks, be able to raise their hand and say that. So amazing that you can do that with your team. I hope more people find that inspiring to create that space and then give that space to them and that our team actually feels compelled to do that too. It's so important. I think you don't achieve anything in business just overnight. It, 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 it is a marathon that we're running. And if we're, if we think we can just continue to sprint every single day, we, we burn out and it goes for ourselves, but also for the, the employees that you can't just, go to max and then expect people to stay there you need to not push them extremely hard every day and also help them prioritize their tasks and help them understand mm -hmm. what at least how you see what's important and understand like listen to what they're spending time on mm -hmm. and try to scratch some of the work that might not be worth the stress yeah and where there's like where the i like to have these meetings every 45 days with each team member to understand what was their biggest win in the last 45 days but what also was their biggest challenge and if i keep hearing the same challenge come up either from them or from other team members at the same time there's clearly a roadblock that we're all having and i need to clear yeah. that for you so yeah. yes yes to that and finding that back to date it all comes back to data stuff and doesn't it <laughs> yeah <I> mean... <laughs> In some shape or form, I guess. Um, speaking of data, let's dive into our conversation, which I think, again, I, comes back to the challenges that I think folks are, are, are having right now. Um, the market has shifted in the way buyers buy tremendously. Would you, would you agree with that? What have you seen in that shift? I think uh, what has happened just uh, at least now we sell to we sell a lot to software companies and and this industry is typically funded by a lot of cash from investors and the world has over the last yeah typically you'd say since the start of the war in Ukraine gone a lot more pessimistic so a lot of companies has been told by their investors and the investors has been told by their investors that uh, that look you're not getting as much cash as you'd got before so 
everybody's getting more conservative, restraining the cash more, trying to save money, trying to cut costs, etc. So that also means that you, us as a seller of software, but probably you as well as a consultant, people are like turning every coin a few more times and more people are getting into the conversations and asking questions, etc. So... I think that, that that seems to be the uh, the talk of town that everybody's feeling that deals do take <laughs> longer. Um, so it's for us, that's also meant trying to, okay, how do we shift the narrative in what we say we do from being this kind of growth at all costs, just, you know, spend the money, go raise new money and grow some more to... Mm-hmm. Hey, we can actually help you be a bit more effective. We can help you cut some cost out of what you uh, what you're doing right now. So I think that that's probably, a, I guess, overall, is a classical uh, marketing challenge that you know times changes and you need to kind of make your narrative kind of fit uh, the story that is out there uh, at the moment. It is true. I I think all companies are being tasked with figuring out how to make their dollar go further um, or the pound or the euro, whatever the case may be like, you got to make it go. We can't just keep spending money for the sake of it. We need to tighten our belts. We need to get really smart. We need to understand where the money's going, how it's effective, how it's not effective and, and where we can cut costs, which unfortunately right now is coming at the cost of folks and their jobs. Um, but I think that what, what I'm what we just said here is I think that is kind of a short-term bump that will you know within the next year or two kind of iron out again. That's at least my expectation. I think a bigger shift that is happening is that uh, that the, the the people out there buying things are less and less willing to talk with salespeople, <laughs> which put uh, large demands on uh, marketing and communication and content for you to be kind of omnipresent without actually having the direct uh, dialogue with people all the time. So for us as marketers, we really need to think about every thing you could be asking related to our company. We need to have super crisp value propositions. We need to be present on review platforms and or in Slack communities or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking to a guy called Kyle yesterday from, from Clary, and he said he saw a stat about that nowadays only 11% of the buyer journey happens in front of you, and the rest is, is out there, you know, with yeah. people researching your website without talking to you and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. All of us need to understand that like consumers and buyers are empowered like never before and go to market in a, in a fashion that it ha- acknowledges that we need to empower people to make their own decisions. And then the time where you can gate information behind a few salespeople is probably uh, long gone now. And even though we're hitting this bump in the road in terms of people being more thoughtful about where their money is going, uh, it's kind of like COVID that way. Before COVID, remote work wasn't really a thing. And then COVID happened and remote work became the thing. And after COVID, remote work has not gone away. And I mm-hmm. think that shift is going to continue where the buyer continues to not want to talk to sales even after we get through whatever this weird recession period <laughs> is. It's not really a recession. I don't really know what's going on, but everybody's be- I think everybody's scared of the possibility of a recession. So they're trying to like plan ahead of it. Yeah. Um, and so, but after the recession's over, coming out the other side, the buyer isn't going to change. That the way that they buy is not 
it's going to be the new world order. And we <laughs> all as marketers and sales need yeah. to catch up. Yeah, I agree um, with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think the other thing I'm seeing that we've talked that we talked about in our prep meeting that I think comes into play into our conversation is around the fact that it's not a single buyer anymore. It's it's a committee. Would you call it a committee? I don't know if it's a committee, but it's I think you sometimes whole... call it a buying committee. I, I think about it as, you know, it's typically a team that makes a decision about buying something. At least. Yeah, yeah I find it's uh, sort of a reverse. I, I love your perspective on this. Uh, this is my hypothesis on it. Uh, and we're testing it um, now with a couple of our clients. But it seems to be the practitioners, the people on the ground are doing the research to figure out what tools they need or what vendors they need or what services they need. And then they do all the collection, then they bring it to their VP to narrow it down. And then they collectively bring it to the CMO to say, okay, we're looking at these two, here's why, here's the one we want to go with. And so by the yeah. time it gets to the person ultimately signing, whether that, whatever the CXO is, um, yeah. the decision's basically been made, but they got but the signer has to be brought into the conversation. It's my hypothesis of, of where things are headed. I think that's the scenario we see as well in like 80% of the cases. Sometimes there is the kind of the high ranking officer that says, I want this tool. But in most cases, it's, it's, it's everyday people who are operators running into challenges that are trying to solve the challenge. And then they do the research and then go request a certain amount of budget to 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 go at this task but i think there's also there is a point here carrie that you need to think about who are all the stakeholders in uh, in this buying decision and yes we should cater definitely to the person who is looking to solve a problem but there's also maybe a cmo or a cfo who needs to like from a business point of view approve the investment so are you able to address business case related questions? What's the ROI of investing in your your company or in, in our tool and stuff like that? So I would say that it's always a good exercise to look at what are the last 10 deals we've won? Which people were do we know were involved in this deal? And are we actually able to deal well with all these kinds of people? So for, for Dream that it might be that there's a data protection officer or there's a legal department sometimes, and then there's the marketer and there's the CMO, and then there's uh, the ops person also. And we need, you know, it's you know, you're it's you're playing kind of a card game or whatever, and you need to kind of if they don't bring a, a knife to a gunfight, you need you need to kind of be able to play the right cards at, at the right time. I think that's such an important distinction because I kind of got caught up in a single entity of business where what you're saying is actually it's cross, sometimes it's cross business of how these decisions get made. I mean, how many times have we put as a service, uh, SOW or MSA in front of a client and legal rips it to shreds, right? Like <laughs> yeah, That's the worst. Ugh, it is. It definitely slows things down. And I, so I think that's a really important point that sometimes gets lost in the sauce of being so focused on the ideal customer profile of who's going to use this thing and not really thinking about all the players at the table coming back to your cards. Yeah, I think you should think about it as like, it's really nice that you're convinced that one person that really seems to get what you do and why the project is important, but that person still needs to go back to their organization and, and explain, okay, I'm going to need some money. I want to do this with the money. 
<laughs> and if that person has to write up the whole business case themselves, maybe they don't have time, maybe it's not good enough. So you can proactively actually deal with these challenges uh, if you think through who who will your champion need to go talk to after having uh, approved it firsthand. Uh, we have uh, Sode who just joined us. Welcome. So grateful you're here. Thanks for jumping in. Feel free to ask us questions as we go. Um, Stefan, you're basically talking about account-based marketing. Yes. For those, for let's, let's say the younger, the new marketers, welcome to the world of marketing. <laughs> um, and maybe you haven't heard this term before. But this is essentially what it is. It's no longer looking at a single buyer, a single lead, and looking at a holistic account of who you want to work with and thinking mm. about all the players who will need to come to the table to get this tool bought into, essentially. Yeah. Is, did I, is that, would you, did I miss anything? How would you define account-based marketing? I think, so I think some would say that account-based marketing has a very uh, specific set of disciplines within it. What I'm saying here is just if you're in B2B, you're not selling to one person. <laughs> you need to understand that it's a buying committee who's going to approve <laughs> this project. And then I think yeah. account-based marketing is a specific discipline where you select a a certain amount of accounts and then you plan a tactic on how do we address these accounts specifically uh, but from a kind of it just maybe maybe it's more like a buying process that i'm talking about here when you're in b2b the buying processes there is a lot of people with different interests and you need to be able to you know to to do the battle with each of these interests in order for your deal to float through and do you think this is one of the challenges that's really made the buying cycle? Because you mentioned earlier how you felt like one of the challenges marketers are facing, sales and marketing are facing, is the buying cycle and how it's gotten longer. Do you think that's just because of the bump in the road in terms of where the market is? Or do you think this uh, is lending a hand in that in terms of having to get more people to on board to make it go through? No, I th I think B2B is just incred incredibly complex. <laughs> that's just the... Uh life of, of our work uh, like we put out some benchmarks last year when there was less of a crisis that where we could see on average uh, of, of 400 uh, customers we looked at that the average journey from the first touch until you win a deal would be 192 days and that's averages across a lot of different types of, of businesses um, so it, B2B is just going to take a long time and deals doesn't just come out of nowhere. <laughs> and right. that also means for us to, as marketers, if we know things take this long, we need to be in front of the revenue targets with about six or 12 months because all the seeds that the sales team is to, to, you know, to harvest, we need to have planted those six months before. So I think that... I think it's just a condition in B2B that you need to be aware about. You don't just like magically invent more demand. These are things that takes a lot of time for for, the, for it to prosper. Sometimes it's not budget season. Sometimes it's the wrong sea level. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong. And the only thing you can proactively do something about is that you get out there early and put out high quality content and do get get in front of the right people and so forth. What does high quality content mean to you? <laughs> Good question. That's very broad. Uh, no, I, I think 
high quality content means that it's written for a very narrow uh, persona or use case. I think the uh, the best way not to succeed today <laughs> is to be very not specific, tailored toward a certain person, because there's so much information out there and there's so much competition. So the only way you stand out, if you're able to to express that you really understand, like who's somebody like Carrie, who's a leader of an agency or uh, who's a marketing leader, what is important in her world and get that coming out through your copywriting, through your cases, <laughs> through your ads, everything like that. So I, I think that is like good content is, is narrowly focused. Uh, you're not trying to be a lot for a lot of, a, a little for a lot of people. You're trying to be a lot for just a few people. And luckily with the internet, a few people still means tens of thousands of people that you can be reaching. It's true, especially when we're talking now about it not really being one specific buyer, but thinking about the challenges that each person, like there's multiple personas now you're talking about from the practitioner on the ground, all the way up through the ranks to the C-suite. And then you got even the fractional, um, not the fractional, sorry, the the um, finance team and the uh, legal team now also involved in how you're going to make sure there's that both people the, are the right information. There's both the persona flavor, but then there's also the industry. So like you might have to find a very narrow set of personas, but the things that are important for this persona might differ from if you're in brick and mortar or if you're in software, for example. So you also need to express that you understand this specific industry for this specific persona. So high quality mm -hmm. content means that you're not just going to, to chat GPT and just writing an article that is semi-relevant for most people. It means that you know the customers, you like you talk with them every single day, you know their pain points, and you're able then also to put that into writing or visuals or video or sound or whatever it is that really makes them stop. I think that's really a key indicator too when you're talking about identifying your audience. It's it's their title, it's the industry they're in. Is there anything else we need to take into consideration when we're, when we're trying to get very specific and narrow to make sure we're helping and communicating to the right people and not everybody? Are those the two main pieces? Yeah, I think it's it's better to be something for, for us. I think my general advice would be be something specifically for somebody. And then like if you write, if you catch yourself writing, could I put this text on any other website and then it would be somewhat meaningful as well? Well, then you've done it wrong. <laughs> I love you. Like you can, I, it's a great I just copy what is on this website and put it on a totally different product. It would, it would mean somewhat the same. Then, then you haven't done it the right way. I, yeah, I love that, that way to check your work. I think that's absolutely perfect. Um, like safe time. Yeah, there's, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, um, the other, the other thing I will add to it is, uh, geography, right? How we show up depending on who we're talking to and where they are located, I think also plays, plays a role. We are getting more global, um, but we still need to like, I love that Laura, I know her because she is dedicated to the U.S. and she's yeah. speaking, even though she lives in Stockholm, she is still speaking to me as an American. And I feel that. Ah, and I awesome. think 
that matters. Um, she's still bringing her unique flavor and her own personality to it, but she's paying attention to what's important to me as an American versus what might be different depending on where you are. Um, you know, if you're in Europe or the UK, there's going to, there might be different challenges based off of location. I think a lot of, I feel like the same thing when I, like, I'm at the receiver of like outbound efforts, if it's, it's kind of, I, I always think about it as either you pay the entrance fee by doing the research about who I am. <laughs> if you don't, then I just delete your mail. I hang up the phone. But if, if you demonstrate that you truly have done your homework and you're able to pay the entrance fee then i'll listen and i think it's the same thing like if you're speaking to an american or trying to sell to an american company the cases you show should be american you should use a c rather than an s in your writing and it's all these kind of small details that demonstrate that you actually truly care and that you understand the specifics of who you're trying to to communicate to yeah, the localization of it is so is so key. I get caught up in it because I'm, I'm American, but living in the UK. And so a lot of times my computer is trying to correct my language. <laughs> and then I'm trying to like, I know I live in the UK, but the people I'm talking to don't live here. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Because uh, you can tell, right? You can tell if the how the words are are spelled if where yes i it matters i hate that it matters to some degree because i think mm -hmm. um you know i think if it's english speaking and you can understand it then it should be enough but on some level knowing that you took that level of detail and care to what you're saying is just it just takes it a little bit further of connection yeah i think location is something to consider especially if you're going to be in other countries please Amer I'm speaking to the Americans right now, very clearly on this. If you are advertising in another country like Sweden or France or Germany, do not deliver your ads in English, please. I know they speak English. They speak very good English. But if we're going to show up for them, be in their language. Be there for them. Not for you. I know it's easier for you. It's not about you. Hmm. <laughs> it's about yeah. Or at least put it to the test where you try to yeah. like run a local language versus English language and see which performs best. Then you, you'll probably have the the right answer. Yes, yes. In my testing, we always found local language to perform better. Okay, but maybe that's yeah, changed. I think, no, I maybe don't. I think you're right. I think. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we talked about finding identifying your audience and being very specific. Uh, down to the the title and the person they are, to the industry they're in, to where they're located. Um, in terms of what we want to talk about today is around these personas and understanding that there's multiple people at the table to make this decision. And the timeline of that is really important. You mentioned it could take up to 192 days, but it's different for everybody, right? And so what we want to unpack today is how we help folks find their timeline and then how they optimize it. So the first step is everything we've been talking around the right audience. What's the next step of figuring out, okay, these are the folks who are buying now. How do we uncover that next step to that timeline? Could you ask the question again, Carrie? Yes. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I just kind of danced around. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
we need to map out the customer journey, right? So we identified who are, you probably get a bunch of users, especially if you have a free program, you're probably getting a lot of users into your platform, but they might not be the right users, at least not the ones that are gonna eventually upgrade and use this product. So who were the buyers, right? We need to first figure out like who's actually bought this thing in the last 10 days to your point. Um, And would you say that's like the real distinction of like, somebody who's actually paid for it versus to sign up for a freemium model. Did I, I sort of went off the cuff there. Oh. Do you agree with that? I think overall, uh, yeah. The, the, when you'd want to talk about like a, a buying journey, like a buying journey, a customer journey, you want to pay your attention to those who actually end up buying whatever you sell, whether that's a service or a piece of software. And it's those journeys that you want to understand what what are the interactions that we have with the customer here that we can kind of replicate and and do more of. So we know that the outcome in most cases then is uh, more revenue. Whereas like, I think this is like when you popularly talk about marketers should be producing revenue, what it really means is that you should focus on doing more of the activities that you have somewhat an idea of that it yields more revenue once you do it. Whereas there's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the opposite is being very focused on just producing a lot of emails, a lot of leads that you didn't just throw over the fence to the sales team and be satisfied about that. That's where I think you're not starting the right kind of customer journeys if it's just collecting emails of people who have no intention of, of buying your product. I don't know if it's, it's that direction you're, you're thinking about, Gary. Yeah, I think we're trying to now say that one of the biggest challenges that you mentioned earlier on is that the sales cycle has gotten really long, right? It's 192 days. And yeah. so how can we look at our data more intentionally to get that better? Maybe it's even longer. If it's not 192 days and it's even longer than that, why? And one of the things you mentioned is really that customer journey and identifying that. And within that customer journey, it's not a single customer journey, right? If we're talking about an account based, um, you know, going out, you have multiple people who were part of that buying journey. What was that? So trying to break that down for folks of how to go figure this out of um, if my buying cycle is more than 192 days, how do I fix that? Yeah. <laughs> There's multiple ways to, to get at that for, for, for sure. And I think it's one thing about this, it is to, First of all, you should understand that the buying journey doesn't start once you see the lead and then the time it takes to close it. It typically takes twice as long. So like if if your buying cycle is three months, then there's three months of research that has gone into that account reaching out to you. And you can kind of uh, impact both parts of that. If you look at the sales journey where like they have converted, they have requested a demo or something like that, then you can think for yourself about what would matter in your buying decision. Um, Like the salespeople can reply the mails faster. They can get the meetings booked faster. We can help them provide more social proof. So have we collected a lot of reviews for the reviews platforms out there? Do we have customer cases on the website? Do we have a business case template for buying our software, et cetera? So I would sit down in your team and have this conversation about what is it that convinces the buyers to make a decision faster? That that's the 
that's the sales com- sales slash marketing component. The other one is about how can we start more of these journeys with the right intent? And here there's uh, a lot of difference depending on which channels and which marketing activities you come from. Uh, in the benchmarks where the 192 days comes from as well, we also looked at the different channels uh, our customers use to, to acquire uh, new customers. And for example, we found that the traffic that you get from review platforms were like 68% faster to becoming customers than any other uh, channel. So I think there's a hierarchy out there on the internet where you are showing more intent than others that that would be kind of, for example, review platforms. If you're already that far that you're looking at reviews, then that's probably a source you want to be have a strong presence on fast. If somebody is writing very specific stuff in Google, uh, then you want to capture those people showing this intent. So the way I would build my, my marketing engine is to to make a hierarchy or like write down a hierarchy of how can our customers looking at buying our product is express the strongest intent out there. Uh, and then you can map those like for dream that, for example, it's, you know, review platforms, it's Google search, it's marketplaces of different te- technology ventures that is clear intent. Whereas you consuming a video from Laura on LinkedIn is that's quite far from somebody who's in market to buy our product, though it still helps with the awareness of what we do. So there's, you get the picture that there's a lot of different things you can do and the things will have different speeds. And it, it's important that you are aware that if the CEO says we need to win deals right now, then you don't start an awareness campaign where you go in front of people who are not likely to buy and then they have to go through an awareness journey, etc. I want to sit here for a second because I have I have a lot of questions, but <laughs> I think this is one of the biggest challenges that's happening in this very minute of CEOs showing up and being like, we need revenue right now. And so you're saying, what are those the bottom of the funnel intent channels? You mentioned review, Google search, marketing places. Um, are you recommending or do you recommend if folks aren't playing in those spaces that they should immediately go... if if revenue is something they're looking for, they should immediately go invest in activating those channels? Or is it more around look at what you're currently doing and see where um, see where those that intent's coming from, those buy, that shorter buying cycle is happening right now and double down on that? Or are you saying both? It's, 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 about, it's, it's, it's a bit hard without getting a bit generic uh, about it. I would say like Think thoroughly through kind of how the dynamics is in the industry you're in, where are people showing the strongest intent and make sure you are present there when, when they do so. Uh, I'm a bit more of a an overall advice is that it's it takes a very long time to sell to people who've never heard about you before. So if you can focus your attention and activities on people who have some kind of understanding of what you do right now they're probably yeah. more likely to be buyers so that is like look through your newsletter list those people have heard about you before the people who've been on your website they at least have some kind of brand understanding so how can we activate these assets we have of people who have some sort of awareness about us and then try to kind of push them forward i know 
more and more people are experimenting with this paying to do a demo for people. You know, like how can we uh, how can we do stuff where the people who know who we are, how can we get them over the line to into some sort of sales conversation? Yeah. I think it's it's super tricky right now. And if you're not in the right places and you are only doing top funnel stuff, then that's going to be really hard for them, um, which I think is, is a good reminder of like needing to capture first party data. I think with third party cookies going away, figuring out how to create your own email database is going to be of great importance in the future. Um, and the companies that are probably struggling right now probably don't have a good, strong database and that's why they're struggling. Yeah. Then there's the eternal problem with marketing is that you then exhaust resources. <laughs> so you have to, like, like uh, the things I've said here, that's when we're fishing in the like bullseye of the right people. But at some point you've exhausted this pond and then you need to go a little bit wider and a little bit wider and a little bit wider. So that's why you, at some point you can't just focus on capturing the demand that's out there right now which is typically the one, two, three percent of the market, then you need to stretch a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And that's where, you know, marketing gets hard and you need to, but you know, but at the same time, you need, you need to know that you have to do it. You have to continuously plant these seeds in order for them to prosper uh, six or 12 months later, which I think is like um, a, a live show like this can be a great way. Because people can just be following you and then once they start facing some kind of problem that you can solve maybe a year or two from now, they will still remember, hey, okay, now is the time I reach out to Carrie. But it's uh, that's where the marathon comes into it, that uh, continues to plant the yeah. seeds, plant the seeds, plant the seeds, and then hopefully you can uh, extract value out of it as well. It's true. We talked about three sort of parts of the buyer's journey. We talked about the awareness, the building demand. We talked about bottom of the funnel and attempt. And then we talked about sales. There's probably a whole host of middle pieces throughout that, that we could unpack all day and be here for hours. Unfortunately, y'all, we don't have that kind of time. So <laughs> I'm going to focus on these three things. And my question is, one of the things you said was around timing. And so where the time starts to start to understand the full buyer's journey of how long things take. And it sounds like you're saying you want to sort of look at these three pieces as individuals of how long it takes for them to go from one stage to the next. Or are you saying to look at it from, from the moment they see that very first impression and hear about you all the way down to they buy? How, which way should we think about it? <laughs> yeah. Both? Yeah. I think the way you should think about it is that you want to like, the scorecard for us in marketing is when our company sells something. And uh, most companies have uh, budgets for certain months or quarters. And you need to use this information about how long are your journeys in order to plan what is the right set of uh, marketing activities then or when is the right time to, to do the things. And if it's then 192 days, let's just simplify that as six months. So the marketing yearly plan needs to be six months ahead of, uh, or at least some parts of it needs to be six months ahead of the sales targets. And that's what I mean, that 
this is something you need to be aware about in order because we're all on the same team in this business, sales, marketing, CS, product, etc. We're all just trying to make our company do better and sell more. And the way we can contribute to that in, in marketing is that we make sure that there's enough demand for the sales team to work on it when they need it. So knowing what I love, well, I wish we all could see down the road of like what our budgets should be <laughs> yeah. in, in six to 12 months time from now. I mean, I know we're all gearing up for 2024 or depending on your fiscal year, but generally you plan for the year, right? So you, you should have some sense of in six months, this is what our budget's going to be. And these are the targets we need to hit and plan backwards. I don't, I haven't really heard that before. I think that's important. I hope companies are doing it. Maybe I just haven't heard about it. But if you aren't, uh, I think that's, you know, I don't know how often marketing and sales gets to talk to finance and know what, you know, budgets are. But that seems like a no. very good question. Yeah, no, we, it's, it's, it's at least how we, 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 you know, it's not an exact science and some there's a good amount of luck included in stuff like this as well. But I think like what, as you lay out uh, a budget, you should also be able to explain why is this a meaningful budget? How will we hit the target we have in November? And that's like, if we need a deal in November, okay, then we need three sales opportunities. If we need three sales opportunities, maybe we need 15 MQLs to get a, a marketing qualified lead. We might need 50 leads. And that's the way you can kind of calculate your way back from whatever revenue target there is. And then let's say you need 50 leads. How many of them is coming from the outbound uh, team that just, you know, cold calls people and how many of them are to come from, from marketing? And I think it's very healthy to do this sanity check and see, is it realistic to have the sales target given we know all these other factors? And if it looks completely unreasonable, then probably it's not the right plan or you need to do some more work on how to actually achieve this plan. Does that make sense, uh, Carrie? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think working your way backwards is really important. I had a great conversation with um, Tara Pollock a few weeks ago around her point was you have to own marketing sales. Like the whole company has to own the revenue number. Yeah. And so that scares people a lot, especially in marketing, because it's like, well, we have no control over the bottom of the funnel and how those sales are getting across the finish line. And it's like, right, but you should know to everything you're saying, Stefan, if you were to walk it back, you should know how many leads that sales can close, how many, how many they're going to need, and then grow from there in terms of backing into those KPIs up the funnel. How does this play into... Because we're talking, we're going back to the word leads again, and so I think that's that's good. But also, how does that play into knowing that there's multiple buyers that need to come to the table? Going back to our original conversation, so if um, if you have if you need to go after lead, is are you literally are you thinking still about the individual lead, or are you thinking about it from an account standpoint when you're walking your numbers back, or both? I guess I'm saying accounts when I'm say, when I'm saying leads. I think about a new account that shows up at your doorstep. Uh, how many new accounts needs to show up in order for you to to sell? Yeah, and then how what uh, when going into the data of it and looking at that customer journey, I imagine understanding who came in at what point. So was it the practitioner that started, and then you could see the other folks fall fall in. 
um, to the CRM or did it start with the CXO and then the other folks fell in? Like, what was that order of operations too? So you yeah, and, and activate. Yeah, in that sense, I think that a lot of the people, they join the, I don't regard them as leads per se. It's just people who start, you know, I think about the leader, somebody who's who's the initiator of the journey that then does the one of the one or two initial sales calls, and then they start bringing in uh, other people. And the, I have not thought about this before, but the other people I don't think think about as leads just because they take part of a uh, a meeting. Got it. So you're thinking about the individual, the initial individual that kicked it off as the lead, and then what account they brought in, and then you activate the whole account. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have so many ideas. Um, <laughs> I think this is a really important conversation as people think about the buyer journey. I also am curious, my last question for you about this, Stefan, in terms of the customer journey, buyer journey. And I think I, I think this probably lends itself into what Dream Data does best. But I think one of the challenges we're all having as marketers is what we can't see these days. Like we're you're on this podcast right now. How are you going to know in six months that this podcast had any indication that it came to a lead to an account to a buyer? Yeah, good question. Like the the short answer is I have no clue. Um, but I think there's this kind of you should think about marketing disciplines as there's some disciplines that lends itself to being analyzed very quantitative, uh, quantifiable. So those things you need to obsess about understanding. And then there's other feelings that kind of, you know, feels right and it's the right audience. It's not too time consuming, et cetera. So let's just do them anyway. Uh, so it's like you work with a lot of uh, software companies uh, as your customers. If 20 people are listening to me right now, it cannot be bad that those 20 people who work in software companies listen to me right now. But so, so it's kind of that that's the way I, I think about it then. For, at an activity like this, I would more think about as a qualitatively qual uh, counting. So if any person mentions this, I'll if it's just an anecdote, I'll make sure to tell other people uh, in the company that I was on this podcast with Carrie and now we had this customer coming in said she heard us. Or if it's like a mention on social media, take the screenshot and share it with your company and store it in a folder. So typically with more content-related stuff like this, you only see the tip of the iceberg. You're not able to like grasp the full value that is being created. So you have to think about just generating evidence that it is probably working. So yeah, I don't know where I'm going here, but like there's like disciplines like ads and organic traffic and how many calls are we doing to book meetings, et cetera. These things are very easy to measure. You need to obsess about it and you need to understand the mechanics. And then there's other different marketing things that still make sense because it's the right people and you can get the right message in front of them. Uh, but it's, you want to have a bit of both because <laughs> so you kind of don't put all of, of your eggs in one basket, which is podcast, and you have no clue whether it's going to work uh, later on. I love what you said about it, though, in terms of gut feeling of how much time does this really take to how many people am I really reaching? And I think that's an easy KPI to say, I know that podcasts right now are a big deal. And there's probably a ton of data out there right now about how how big those audiences are as a collective. 
And this is something that's low hanging fruit. I can go talk about what I do all day. That sounds yeah. great. Let's do that. Right. I, I think LinkedIn's another place of like posting every day can be low friction. If it's something I'm passionate about, it's very yeah. easy to throw a post up and say, I'm having an idea and a thought right now. And here it is. Right. And I can't measure whether that's going to lead to a lead someday, but it's all these seeds, as you've been saying, that are being planted, that if you don't do those things, then the bottom of the funnel, six months from now, when, when sales is going, hello, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are my leads? Well, we didn't generate any, any of that mm. unquantifiable demand that that's a much smaller pool. I think yeah. the, the one thing you can control is your effort. <laughs> Uh, in this world. So if you continuously have a high output of activities, uh, sometimes it's ads, sometimes it's podcasts, sometimes it's conferences, that at least guarantees that a lot of people do hear about your company and they will show up at your doorstep. So don't get the, don't lose because you didn't put in the effort. I think that that's a little bit the same with this podcast. It's an hour and then I'm in front of, I don't know, 50 people or 100 people. Some of them might show up at our doorstep, but they might tell another person that they heard about Dreamed It in this podcast, etc. So it's a bit very much, I think there's a Wayne Gretzky uh, quote about uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And like you really need to take a lot of shots in marketing to make sure you there's some of the shots that do hit the target. It's no longer, I'm going to, this is like the perfect thing to round out this conversation. Everything I've been hearing throughout the, the industry it is no longer a one tactic to rule them all. You have to have as many shots from as many angles on that net as possible. So because your buyer is to everything we've been saying, no longer one person and all those buyers are different in their journeys of how they get to you. And so you have to create a lot of surround to, uh, to capture that 1%. So Stefan, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, any last thoughts for our audience on this topic? Like one last thing to say to help them bring it home. I think the most healthy thing you can take with this uh, from this call is just be super curious about how your company creates money, <laughs> like how your company mm -hmm. generates revenue and besides all the data things you can do, just make sure you have the conversation. How is it that we sell? Where did this deal come from? Be able to tell the narrative of every time you make money. What led to that? So as, as you continue to be curious about how does this world look like, you also train yourself at spotting the good ideas and the bad ideas. I love that. Yes. Thank you for that recap. That was, some, yes, way better than what I did. I'm so grateful. <laughs> uh, last question for you, because you're more than a marketer, Stefan, and, and a co-founder. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, given, you know, all the time in the world that you have, or will have someday, where would you go and why? Okay, what I'll go for the, uh, I think it's called uh, the, the highest mountain in South America. I think it's called Aconcagua, and it takes like a 14-day trek. <laughs> so if I didn't have my kids and a girlfriend, et cetera, that, then I would like to, to go to that, uh, that mountain. 14 days. Oh, my gosh. Someday. <laughs> it's a dream. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much, Stefan, for joining me. 
Um, if you'd like to learn more about Stefan and Dream Data, head on over to LinkedIn. Be sure to follow Stefan and Laura. Laura is fantastic. Her content <laughs> is definitely something to take note of. Um, and uh, the Dream Data website is a plethora of all of the information of how to think about ways to find the right data and read the right data. I absolutely love your content. Go check it out. Um, Thank you. Thank you all for joining us and for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please like, subscribe, share, comment to your bestie. Let people know that this thing exists now that we are live. I absolutely love the questions that come in. I'm so grateful for y'all showing up. Um, this episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, the digital marketing agency that helps complex B2B brands grow via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing. And if you'd like to be a guest, DM me. Let's hang out. I'd like to learn more about what you got going on and how we can bring your expertise to the table. Let's do it. Thank you See all you so much. Cheers.